will be reading in John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we thank you for allowing us to be here. We thank you for welcoming us where we are and in the midst of whatever we're going on, whatever's going on in our lives, Lord. We thank you for allowing us to come here to hear your word. We pray, Lord, that you'll be with Mike as he uh, speaks your words. We pray that our hearts can be softened and that we can hear what you want us to hear. Lord, we give this time to you, and we love you. In, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ronnie. You can be seated. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, so I knew it was going to rain this morning because I washed my car yesterday. Isn't that how it always works out? It just is, right? That's part of life. And so do you remember your wedding day? We just, uh, do you remember your wedding day? Anybody? No? Nobody? Bill remembers his wedding day, right? Got the hands up. Hey, check these out. Check these pictures out. Look at that mustache, man. I'm thinking look at the fox next to him, but that's Dave and Sandy's wedding picture. You know who that is? Yeah, Glenn and Hilda Poole, all right? Wow, you got a little chrome going on there, Glenn. Who's that? That's, uh, right? Chris and Nicole McGahee? Yeah, and there's, that's uh, the picture I picked for them. That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? And there's a, all right, look at that. Who's that big guy next to you, man? You, wow. And that's us, yeah. I have uh, the privilege and one of the many benefits of being in ministry. Oh, oh, gosh. Wait, whoa, whoa. Go back. Okay, go back one. Go back two. We got more, more. Okay, one. Yes. Kobe. Kobe, what, were you dressing up, man? Like, <laughs> wow. Doug and Jenny Swenson, right? And then there's their uh, superhero costumes, right? And then check out this one. Who's that? Do we know? Milt and Carol Gilman, right? Yeah. And look at that. Wow. Check that out. Yeah. Is that, the, is that it now? All right. Sweet. 
You guys are awesome, man. You got all your pictures to us. That's pretty cool. Thank you for doing that. But uh, like I'm saying, one of the many benefits that I have in, in ministry is to be able to uh, be part of people's weddings. And counseling sessions bring couples to my office, and, uh, who, and, and they're super excited about their future plans. And, uh, and it's really cool to be able to speak into uh, the lives of newlyweds and, uh, um, you know, and, and be part of that. Uh, at weddings, I get a close up, uh, closer view of the bride and groom than many of you do, and I get to see things and hear things that are hidden to uh, most of the crowd, right? I get to see the nervousness uh, as, as the, the groom is like wrenching his hands waiting for his bride. I get to hear the deep breaths and the, and the whispered prayers. Uh, I get to hear the reaction from the groom when he sees his bride for the first time coming down the aisle. I also get to, to see uh, the fathers as the tears well up in their eyes as they're giving their bride away. And, um, and, uh, and I, even, even better than that, I am inches to uh, what God says in His Word is a sacred union. It's a sacred and holy moment that, that we are being united, that we are, I'm participating in helping God unite these two together in holy matrimony, we would say. We believe that it is a sacred moment, a wedding. From the time that we're little children, we see weddings idolized and dramatized. We hear uh, stories being told from our friends and our family. And, and, uh, and, that, and in that time, we're, we're looking at pictures and we're, we're, we're looking at things that, that would help us paint the picture on how we would like to have our own weddings, right? And so these things become, become kind of idolistic and, and, and dramatized in our lives. And it kind of paints the picture on what we would want for the day of our wedding, and then when it comes time for our wedding, wedding the expectations are high. It's one, it's, it's ideally, it's, it's supposed to be only one time in your life, right? And so we're going to make some really solid plans and we're going to do some things. And so hours and days, months, maybe even years go into planting, planning for this one day. The bride-to-be uh, 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 tells every member of the wedding party what to wear and what colors they want, Right? And so, she, so, so from the venue to the colors, to the, to the flowers, to the food, to the table arrangements, to the wedding cake, everything is well thought out and planned because this day is a special day. It's supposed to ideally, again, happen only once, and so we're going to make a big deal about this. And, and I don't find that that's a, there's anything particularly wrong with that. I think a wedding day should be done very well in the way you want it. The simple fact is this, though, that as much as you plan... And as much as you prepare, you can't control everything. And so this wedding, because of the anticipation and the building it up and, and, and the priorities that you're putting into it and the thought that you're putting into it, typically becomes a nervous event because of the uncertainties and the potential things that can go wrong. Uh, because it's, the, it's a one-time event. You've, you've never done it before. It just adds a bunch of pressure to it. And this is the reason why the bride and groom stand up there so nervous sometimes. The reason our wedding day is such, th th this happens is because our wedding day is such a big deal. And again, uh, the expectations are much higher because you want this day to be a day that you will never forget, right? The same emotions uh, are clearly applied here at the wedding of Cana of Galilee in John chapter 2. 
The wedding celebration for people in this culture was considered the most grandest event that you would ever have in your life, especially among the poor. That typically a Hebrew wedding ceremony took place in the evening. They would, they would, that would follow a feast, and then, the, and then the bride and the groom, they would be paraded around with this torch-lit parade, and they would take them all the way around the village so that everybody can uh, send their well wishes to them. And then it, it, it culminates in this feast, right? And the ceremony of the bride and groom would just, they would, it would just be this huge thing. Like in lives that were contained so much poverty and difficulty, this was considered like the most supreme occasion that they would ever experience in their entire life. Maybe they would go all throughout life and never have a celebration like this. And this is where the background of this text comes alive. This is why this text is so included in John chapter 2, because this is a monumental celebration in the life of a Hebrew couple. And it is something that they would do and, and remember, and they would look back upon as something that was so honored and such a privilege to have. And, and here we come to the text, and, and, and it comes alive for us because there's something drastically wrong. There's something wrong in this wedding. I don't think we can overemphasize the distress in Mary's words in verse 3 when she says, they have no more wine. You see, in, Jewish, in the Jewish culture, the wedding feast, wine is essential, not so that the, de- that the guests can get drunk or, or drink in excess, but, but it was a symbol of celebration. It was a symbol of celebration in the wedding ceremony. And, and those who were behind the scenes in the, in the wedding of Cana were most likely freaking out because they were running out of wine. So, you know, I can imagine sitting back in the scenes and like, who ordered the wine? Who ordered only this much? It, it's, we're, we're running out. And this is going to mark, this is going to be the problem in this celebration. And the celebration is heading for a sure disaster. Who made this hospitality mistake? We are going to humiliate the best week of their lives is going to be cut short because we failed to bring enough wine. And here is all the dreams that have, that have come, the childhood dreams of this ideal wedding is about to dissolve in a nightmare because, because they don't have enough wine. And the drama of our text is very real because this is such an important celebration. It's like worse than a caterer not showing up to your reception with the food that you wanted. And you have no food for your guest. It's worse than that. It's worse than than the baker. Have you seen like epic fells on the baker like dropping the, the wedding cake? Wouldn't that be horrible? This would be worse than that because this is the most monumental event in your life and it's going to be smashed. It's going to be a disaster. And, and my memory of my wedding will be marked with this that the hospitality was cut short, the celebration was cut short because we were without wine. In this culture, it also would have been a stigma because it's, it's also wine was considered a, a blessing from God. If you had enough wine, God showed favor on you. And so that you would live the rest of your life with this stigma as if God had cursed you. And, and it was in the form of not providing what you would have. And so they would have to live their whole life with the stigma of not having God's blessing and provision at their wedding. And it's this moment that provides the setting for Jesus' first miracle. 
And it has super deep spiritual meaning for every one of us too. In verse 11, John says this. He says that this is the beginning of the miraculous signs. And when John uses the word sign here, he always uses it with the idea of a miracle that conveys a deeper teaching. And, and, and this is certainly true in this text as well. You see, not only is, is Christ showing His glory and His power to change the physical elements of water into wine, He's also showing us a deeper truth that in His power, Jesus is able to miraculously change us too. That He is the blessing that comes into our lives and that He has the power to change us. And that's, this is what this text is really about. This is an amazing story of what Christ can do when when we invite him to our parties. When we invite him into our lives and and we ask him to do what what he can only do, a miracle in our lives. The question is, is Christ invited into your party? The question is, is he invited into your life? Have you invited Christ in to actually do the things that he can only do, the miraculous? If you've fallen along in your bulletin, we've provided you some notes. And the first thing I want you to write down is this. The fact that they have no more wine was not only a statement of a huge problem at this couple's wedding, it was also a statement that reveals the more serious problem of our spiritual lives without Christ. So the two words are serious and without. And so this is the bigger truth here is that is that it's a statement that reveals a more serious problem of our spiritual lives without Christ. Essentially what John is saying is that a life without Christ is a life without wine at a party. Somebody say amen. Somebody's, you know, right? Okay, before you like tweet that and, and, and Instagram that or leave our church because I said wine is like without... Uh, uh, listen to what the Bible says. That scriptures use wine as a symbol of blessing and joy and favor throughout all of scriptures. Psalm 104 says, wine gladdens the heart of a man. Isaiah 55 says, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come eat and buy. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And then there's this beautiful passage in Judges. It says this, it's, it's actually the vine is speaking here. And it says, Should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and men? And see, so, so wine here, in the Jewish mind here, this, this would symbolize blessing and favor and joy in a person's life. In fact, rabbis had a contemporary saying that said, Without wine, there is no joy. This would be something common that they would say. We can very well translate Mary's words here in John's Gospel as this couple is not blessed because because they have no joy when she says they are out of wine. They are not blessed. The celebration is heading for sure disaster because they have no joy. At the time of life when, when life should be filled with everything good, joy had run out for them and their celebration was on the edge of disaster. The deeper meaning here is is like these newlyweds, the universal experience for humanity apart from Christ is that. There there comes a time, listen to this, there comes a time when the wine is going to run out in your life. When the things that we're seeking joy from in this life is going to run out in our lives. The joy and the exhilaration, the things that we are trying to seek joy from will run out. 
There's probably never been a more public example of this in our time than in the life of Ernest Hemingway. Ernest was a, from a young boy, he lived in Oak Park, <clears throat> Illinois. His teenage summers were spent in northern Michigan, and, uh, and he went after everything in life. Absolutely everything. He became a reporter to the uh, Kansas City Star. He, he drove an ambulance in World War I. Uh, he, had, uh, he spent years in Europe, and he was intimately involved in the Spanish Civil War. Uh, his friends were famous. Uh, he, had, he, he, was, he was known for having a good friendship with Molay, which was a bullfighter, and even the novelist F. Scott Fitzgerald. He did everything, and everything that he did, whether sports or, or warfare or romance, he did it to the nine. He did it all 110%. He was also brilliant. He wrote many novels. He was a genius. And if you read some of his novels, you know that he was a very, very smart man. He had it all. He, he did it all. And the, but the thrill and the joy of life eventually ran out in his life. The wine, if you will, ran out for Hemingway. In his uh, biography written by Carlos Baker, I want to read these final words of his life to you, and I want you to hear uh, this. This guy had everything. Earthly speaking, all of the joy, all the things that we think that joy will bring us, and this is how it ended for Hemingway. Listen to this. Sunday morning dawned uh, bright and cloudless. Ernest awoke early as always. He put on his red emperor's robe and padded softly down the carpet stairway. The early sunlight lays in pools on the living room floor. He had noticed that the guns were locked up in the basement, but the keys, as, uh, as, as he well knew, were on the window ledge above the kitchen sink. He tiptoed down the basement stairs and unlocked the storage room. It smelled as dank as a grave. He chose a double-barreled shotgun with a tight choke. He had used it for years of pigeon shooting. He took some shells from one of the boxes in the storage room, closed and locked the door, and climbed the basement stairs. If he saw the bright day outside, it did not deter him. He crossed the living room to the, to the front foyer, a shrine-like entryway five feet by seven with oak-paneled walls and floor of linoleum tile. He slipped in two shells, lowered the gun butt he lowered the gun butt carefully to the floor, leaned forward, pressed the two barrels against his forehead just above his eyebrows, and tripped both triggers. A tragic end to a man who was seeking joy from everything but God. And his wine ran out. He exhausted every pleasure known to man, and it never satisfied him. It was never enough. Write this down in your sermon notes. No matter who you are, no matter how much you've experienced or what wines you have tasted, there comes a time when the joys of this life run out for everyone. Sooner or later, the joys of this life will eventually run out and disappoint you. And that's why this miracle that Jesus performs is so important, you guys. It's absolutely paramount that we understand that this is the context by which Jesus performs his first miracle. We are big fans of Paul David Tripp here at Encounter. Uh, I've included this quote in your, uh, in your bulletin so that you'll have it. But this is what he says. You should enjoy food because it's God's gift, but if you love it, you'll end up fat and unhealthy. 
You should be thankful for the money that God provides, but if you love it, you'll find yourself a workaholic or in debt. Surely you should celebrate the pleasures and comforts that God puts in your life, but if you love them, you will soon be addicted. Here is the spiritual reality that you need to know, understand, and live in light of. If you love the gifts and not the giver, your heart will never be satisfied. But if you love the giver, and your heart will be content. And you will be able to enjoy His gifts while keeping them in their proper place. Isn't that true? And this is where God wants us to be. He's the, like, the first thing you need to understand is that, that we are created to enjoy creation. Like Every human being is on a quest to find joy and satisfaction in this life. And you're created by God to enjoy what He's created. And it's very, but it's very tempting to find lasting joy and satisfaction in the things that were never made to do that. To never supply that joy that you absolutely need. And there will be a time that the wine will just simply run out. It will not be what you, what, what you actually need in life. And listen, the, the crazy thing is, is that God will allow it to run out in your life so that you can see your need for something greater. Have you ever f- tried to find like, like joy and satisfaction in something or someone and then it just simply lets you down? It, it's, it's what God calls uncomfortable grace. We're going to write this down in your sermon notes. Uncomfortable grace is this. Uncomfortable grace is when God lets the wine of this life run out so that you can experience the one, speaking of Jesus, who can bring you lasting joy. We don't want to talk about uncomfortable grace a lot. Because, because that's when, that, like, uncomfortable grace is the story of Job. Like, God allowed Job to suffer, right? And it's this uncomfortable grace to bring him to a place where he would really trust and worship God. And I wonder if, if we uh, avoid, as Christians, uncomfortable grace all the time. We try to. We love our comforts. But we don't like it when God allows the joys of this life to, to fail us so that we can Uh, experience the one who can bring lasting joy but God wants to do that and he's going to be patient with you he is going to be patient with you he's going to let you exhaust every means possible until he gets your attention and goes you are seeking joy and satisfaction from everything else but me and I'm going to allow them to fail in your life so that you can see that there's something greater that you need you need Jesus amen uncomfortable grace After Easter, we're going to start a series called, uh, I'm thinking of the name of the message series yet, but it's going to be the mystery of suffering. Where is God in the midst of our suffering? Uh, What is God doing in in our suffering? And and why? Why suffer? We want to go deeper, closer, and wider. This is going to be a a deeper dive into the Scripture because we really want to be foundational, uh, like like have deep roots in our walk with Jesus. Because here's the reality of it. We typically come to church because we want something. We want our lives to be better. We want our lives to, to, be, to be enhanced. We want something. There's something that we want when we come to church. We typically don't come to church and go, man, I can't wait till we suffer. That's not what we do. But there is deep meaning and there's deep mystery that God wants to bless us in the midst of our suffering. And, some, and sometimes it's called uncomfortable grace. That He lets us go through these moments in our life so that we can depend more upon Him that we can long for not, not so much everything in this world, but we can long for all the things and the blessings that come from Jesus into the next. 
Only God is able to satisfy and bring lasting joy to our hearts. And that's why this miracle today is so important. Look at verse 2. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Did you catch that? Like, like <laughs> it's so kind of crazy here. Like, like kids, you got to listen to this one because G, like even Jesus' mom doesn't put up with Jesus' excuses. Right? <laughs> She's like, Hey, they have no wine. And, and, and Jesus is like, so what does that got to do with me? This isn't my wedding. And she just, she probably gave Jesus that look, you know, that <clears throat> because she, yeah, right. It's like that look like that mom look like you, you, you don't say another word, but you just go do what I told you to do. Look, right. That look that makes your friends just like, like this and shut up. And then Mary, like, switches her gazes to the friends and go, now just do what he's, he's going to say. Now just go do what he tells you to do. Go. And uh, the, the point is this, is that Mary was taking this seriously. Like, like she, did, she wanted this, this, this wedding to not end in disaster. You see? Uh, Mary was not messing around. This couple's wedding celebration was at risk. And she wanted Jesus to intervene. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what it would look like if we cared for people around us like Mary cared for this couple. I wonder if, if, if what, what impact the church would have if we would take on the heart of Mary here. That as we are invited into people's lives, you know, like, like they were invited to this wedding, Jesus was invited to this wedding. Are, are we, when we're invited into people's life and when we see the joys in people's life start to run out, do we see that as an opportunity to go, hey, that was never meant to satisfy you. The only thing that is really going to satisfy you, satisfy your heart and bring you lasting joy is Jesus. Is it an opportunity for you to see the joys running out in people's life, for you to go... I'm dispatching Jesus on this, and, and, and I'm calling him to intervene in, the person, in these person's life, and I'm going to pray to Jesus and ask him to do a miracle in their lives. Imagine what we can do when we take on the heart of Mary. Now look at here. We're, we're responding each and every week with this little heart right here. We want you to be, who is that person in your life that is far from God? Who You know, people are putting, putting all their, their eggs in, in, in baskets that just aren't going to satisfy. You know that person. And you know that there's going to be opportunity when all those joys, and then when the wine in their life starts running out. And the joy that they're seeking from all those things just start not satisfying in their lives. Who is that person? How can you take on the heart of Mary today? And this week, and all the way into Easter, we're going to use these as uh, you can respond after the message today to write that name down, put it in the shadow box, and we're going to be praying over, over these people all the way until Easter. And, and then we're also going to pray for you that you would have the courage to be like Mary. That you would, that as you're invited into people's lives, that you would not miss that opportunity. That you would be vigilant to notice that the wine is running out in their lives. And that you could dispatch and call upon Jesus to make a difference. You could tell them about the good news, about lasting joy that comes from Christ. I have no idea where I'm at. So, you're just, yes. So, 
Yeah, we know it's, it's uh, eventually the wine will run out. And I wonder the impact that we can have uh, when, we, when we ask Jesus to intervene and do a miracle in their lives. This is what was motivating Mary, and, and, and this is what now sets the miracle that Jesus is going to perform in motion. Look at verse 6. Now there were six stone jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn it knew, drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called to the bridegroom and said, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people drank freely, the poor, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. There's so much to glean from these verses, but I just want to focus on the water jars here. They're, they're like, they're, there's 20 to 30 gallons here, uh, or 20 to 30 gallons per jar here, making it about 180 gallons of wine. This would have been an incredible gift, uh, plenty of wine to, to, uh, to celebrate what they were celebrating. Um, it would have brought a lot of, of money and, and, and resources to, to these, this couple. It would have just been an absolute blessing to them. But more than that, this had deep meaning for the Jews. And, and so John puts in some very particular language here about the purification rites and, and the things that they're using. We know from the Dead Sea Scrolls that, that the types of jars that they were using were for ritual purification. What Jesus is saying here, by performing uh, this miracle in these jars, is he's saying that Jesus is testifying that the old religion religious rituals are dead and gone and that he's bringing something new he's doing something new everything that led up to that 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 they did these rituals for jesus is now fulfilling and bringing new wine and a new way of life and a new way of purifying ourselves jesus is going to be the source of our purification that you can't clean yourself up enough jesus had to do the miracle do you see what he's saying here that Jesus had to do something new. Everything that you did for your, in through your rituals were pointing to the, the deeper cleansing that you need from Jesus, from His blood that He would shed for each and every one of us for the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus becomes that source. That brings us lasting joy because none of those rituals were in of themselves were able to save us, but Jesus is. And so write this down, number four in your notes. By filling the jars to the brim and turning the water into wine, Jesus was saying that he brings joy to life, and the joy that he gives is abundant and overflowing. This is the promise of our Lord Jesus. From the very beginning of this ministry here, of Jesus' ministry here in chapter 2, the Lord Jesus becomes a source of great joy because he is our Savior. He is the one who can do this miracle in our lives. Later in his life, just a few hours before his death, Jesus said this. He says, I have told you this so that, you, that, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Our joy is not complete until Christ comes in and does a miracle in our lives. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Jesus doesn't take away the natural joys of life, but he, he comes into them, he exalts them, and then he makes them far more enjoyable. Like, listen, he's, then this is exactly what the story is, is suggesting. We have an earthly wedding here. It's primal, it's basic, but it's in trouble. 
And what does Jesus do? He attends the wedding. He participates in the ha- happiness. He averts the disaster by, by creating water into wine. And then he supplies this, this, this whole village with lasting joy. Scripture says that Jesus knows sorrows too. He knows that, that he enters into these problems, these disasters. He's a man of sorrows, the Bible would say. But if you know anything about Jesus, the overall picture of his life is one of joy. We too have sorrows, and, and we too are going to experience different seasons of our lives. And there'll be times when, when you feel like the grace of God is, just seems absolutely distant. But, but overall, our whole lives, we've got to consider, we've got to kind of step back so that we can see the forest through the trees. You are blessed if you have Jesus. No matter what you're going through or what seasonal life you're going through or what sorrows you are facing, if you step back out of that for a minute and realize the miracle that has taken place in your life if you're a believer, you are blessed. And you have lasting joy no matter what you're going through. Death has no victory for people who are followers of Christ. And it's because He supplies new wine, a new way to live, a new way to think about things. It was interesting, I was able to, it was two weeks ago, we had the Artesian Christian Home here, and we hosted them uh, for uh, lunch. It was during uh, Valentine's Day, and Lynn DeYoung formed this small army uh, of amazing people to help feed them, and, and I had the opportunity to be able to, to share a devotional, and I shared out of Romans 8. And Romans 8 talks about our future glory that awaits us. And, and I thought for a minute, and it's interesting, the way Paul says it, he talks about that, that the whole world is groaning inwardly, awaiting the adoption of Son, the redemption of our bodies. And, and he, says that, he says that it's like childbirth pains. And, and so I said, I, I told these people, I said, man, like, could you imagine if, if God if you understood that, that all of this is culminating to, to something greater, some future glory, why do women, let me ask this question, why do women go through the pains of childbirth? Why? Anybody? It's the only way to get it out. I'm going to have to edit that. You can keep the wine thing in, but that one is... Paul uses this description of the pains of childbirth, the labor pains. And if we understand labor pains, they increase as, as they get closer, right? The contractions increase. But, but why do you endure that as a woman? Because life is coming. And, and some of you have endured that over and over and over again, right? And, 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 and you do that because there's new life at the end of that. And, and God gives us this example in Romans, and he says, he says that we're all, uh, uh, it's just the pains and the hardships of this life are going to increase in your life. But, but listen, be of good cheer, because it's going to lead to a new life in glory. And it's interesting how that lines up with what Jesus is saying here. Like he comes in with a blessing at the end of the party, doesn't he? He comes in with the, with the good wine at the end of the party. And so I said, imagine, imagine this for a minute. And I'm speaking to about 40 people in, in, the, in the later part of their years. Probably won't be here 10, 15 years from now. And I said, could you imagine if every pain in your feet and back, every hardship that you face today leads you to a greater place in worship because you know that the, as those pains and those hardships increase, it is going to come to, to, to a new birth one day. 
The most blessed life that you'll ever have is in Christ in the later years of your life. And the room just fell silent. It was almost awkward. And I'm like, okay, well, amen. (laughs) And And then one lady stood up and goes, no, 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 no. What you said was so profound. We really need to understand what you just said. This isn't paradise, but paradise awaits every single one of us. And the older you get, let your hardships and the, and the sorrows that you face lead you to your knees because you know as they increase as you get older, it's going to lead to glory. And Jesus was talking about, this is what, this is what He says in, his, in the Gospel here. He says, this is the first signs Jesus did in Canada Galilee and, and manifested His glory and the, His disciples believed in Him. You see, he's painting this whole picture of what the Christian life is all about. He comes in, and he comes into, and he's invited into our lives, and he does a miracle, and, and we, uh, the disaster is averted. We don't have to face judgment. We are now saved and become his kids. And then he goes, it's going to get way better. It's going to be way better. I know what you're going through right now. I know it sucks. I know the sorrows that you're facing. I understand the pains. I understand the diagnosis. I understand uh, all the the hardships that you're facing. But let God implore those to, to show you a bigger picture that it's going to get better with Jesus. Amen? And so whatever you're facing right now, it's going to get better. Ephesians 5 says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Can we do that even in the midst of our valleys that we are in? You can when you understand how blessed you are by Jesus. So we're not going to to the wines of life. We're not going to go get drunk on the wines of life to drown out the the reality of suffering. But we are going to reflect on the blessing that we have in Jesus Christ, the lasting joy that he offers each and every one of us, and that we be filled with his spirit, that we may speak to one another with psalms of encouragement, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody with God. Oh, how great would that be as we are trajected to be, like, go deeper, closer, and wider? Like, how can, how can the hardships in our life lead us to greater worship to Jesus? Because He has conquered it all. He has accomplished everything. He's in, we've invited Him in, and He's promising that it's going to get better. Look at verse 10. He says, Everyone who serves the, the good wine first, and when people drink freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Like the master of this feast was blown away that this party is getting better. And this is the life that God wants you to experience in Christ. Because the deeper truth here is that, is that life with Jesus gets better as it goes on when we understand more of who He is. Write this down in your sermon notes, number five. Although the natural wines of life tend to lose their sparkle, the wine Christ gives, the joy we find in Him increases as life goes on. Say amen. It does. Whether you realize it or not, it does. Uh, The longer I walk with Jesus, the closer I walk with Jesus, I realize this to be true. This is our vision for 2020, that we're challenging you to grow deeper in your walk with Jesus. We don't want to be a church that's 10 miles wide and 2 inches deep. Far too many people leave this church when the heat gets turned up in their lives because they think that Jesus is their butler. 
that Jesus is the one to take all their pains away. It's interesting that we serve a God who suffered. That we served a God who took a cross. And yet when we are called to bear the crosses in our lives, we don't want to even touch that because we're addicted to our comforts. But eventually the wine is going to run out. The things that we're trying to, 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 to find that satisfaction, that joy from, will run out. But Christ's joy will never run out. It is a lasting joy. Our vision is that. We want you to go deeper in your knowledge with God this in 2020. We want you to grow closer to one another as we strengthen each other uh, and strengthen the relationships in this church. Can you imagine if we had those hard talks during our, the times of suffering that we're really pressing in and, and we're encouraging one another? We're reminding each other about the lasting joy we have so that we're not just stuck in the momentary mess of our lives. Because there's some messes that y'all are facing. There's some messes that I have faced that just seem like, oh God, life can't go on. (laughs) How is life ever going to be different from this point on? And we need people around us to be praying, to be encouraging, and to be reminding us of the truth about Jesus that life gets better with Him. And that even whatever you're facing right now, whether it's a cancer diagnosis or, or your wedding's falling or your marriage is falling apart or, or the celebrations in life just don't seem very like God is ready to meet you right there. And you need to be reminded that this isn't it. That the best is yet to come. Jesus brings his blessing at the end of the party. And like Mary, we want to reach wider to extend the love of Christ to others, to our neighbors. And so we need to see when the joys are running out in people's lives as opportunities to love and serve them and tell them more about Jesus. Fill out your hearts today after communion. I'm going to close with the words from the psalmist in in Psalm 92. It says this, it says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. And they will stay fresh and green. This is the promise of growth for us. This is the promise of a future blessing for that. No matter what you're going through, uh, uh, this is somebody who, who is old in their age and they're still bearing fruit. Isn't that beautiful? When you, and Jesus says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And so you can do that even on into your old age. I know people like that here, right, at this church. I've seen it right here, and it's such a positive outlook in life. But I'll tell you this, the older that people get, the testament, the, their lives are more about Christ than it is about anything else. I testify that with Wim, and, and uh, we, we sit and listen to, to his stories, and he'll just tell you, man, all glory, all glory, all glory goes to God. His life is about Jesus. And he's looking forward to that. Teenagers could have this joy. If you're going through a midlife crisis, you can have this joy. And if life, can move into, if life is moving into the final years, on into eternity, there's always increasing joy because that's where Jesus is. Because Jesus is always saving the best for last. And your very best awaits you in, in Christ. And He's not going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He can nev- nobody can ever take you out of His hands. And so, you know, get all you can out of this life. Make the best of it, but do it God's way. But do it God's way. The Bible says whatever you eat and drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, right? We can't overlook the text here in chapter 2. We must understand that this wine is running out, that's running out in this wedding, 
uh, is running up for all of us. And, and maybe perhaps you're in here and the wines have ran out. And you needed to hear this message today that Jesus is the source of joy in your life. The visual, the, the sensual, the intellectual joys of this life are not going to endure. And every time we put our hope and our heart and, and we start loving them, as, as, as Pastor uh, Tripp says, when we start loving them, we, we, we're putting them in positions that will never satisfy us. And this is where we need Christ. But, and Christ can bring lasting change into your life. Isaiah says this about Jesus. He says, A crown of beauty instead of ashes. And the oil of gladness instead of mourning. This is the promise that Jesus brings for you. How do you think the people reacted to Christ's miracle at this wedding? How do you think? I mean, if we just we have one testimony of one man, but there's a whole village that I believe were having a great time celebrating the blessing of Christ's miracle. And you can experience that too when you invite him to your party. And if you've never invited Jesus into your life, we want you to do that today. We want you to make a conscious decision to put your faith in Him. That He is the source of lasting joy in your life. And, and, and prayerfully, hopefully, God in His uncomfortable grace has allowed the joys in, in this life to be exhausted. And you're not finding any satisfaction in them because He wants you to meet His Son, Jesus. And so give your life to Christ today. Consider the words that John wrote in Revelation. He said this, And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is about the future in God's kingdom for every person. Today we have a great opportunity to actually come to another table. We come to the communion table today. And Jesus, before He died, He instituted this. He took a common practice of the day, a meal. And He broke bread and he changed this mill forever. And it was actually to, to show us, it's a foreshadowing of, of Revelation, where we will be at the table of our Lord, and we were literally called the bride of Christ. And this feast that we, we are going to partake in is for every single believer. And that we get to come to the table today, and we come to the table every month in family communion, and we celebrate that. We celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus made for each and every one of us on our behalf. And then He takes this common practice and He makes it sacred. Just like a wedding. It's a sacred union. It's a sacred moment. It's holy matrimony. And this moment is too. That Jesus says, as often as you do this, I want you to do this in remembrance of Me. I want you to do this in remembrance of what I have done for you. I have come... I, we, we learned last week that the creator of the universe came and took on flesh on a rescue mission for us. Jesus is saying, I have come. I have lived an obedient life without sin on your behalf. And I died the death that was owed for yours in exchange for you so that I can buy you back and that you could be married <laughs> to me. And so each week, he says, I want you to take this communion in remembrance of what I've done for you. That whatever you're facing right now, that, that I have secured you a place in our kingdom. And I'm going to give you the grace that you need today. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to, I want you to remember the sacrifice that, that, that I laid down for you and for the forgiveness of sin that you can become God's children. 
And so I'm going to invite the uh, team up and then we'll come up and we will take this together. Listen, if you are that person that, that the wines have just run out and you have not put your faith in Jesus, this is for believers. And so we call this kind of fencing the table, right? And believers are welcome to partake in communion. And if you're not a believer, that's okay. It's not a, a nick on you. It's just, hey, we want you to contemplate your faith in Christ. And if you want to talk more about what it means to put your faith in Jesus, to invite him into your life, we would love to talk to you about that. But right now, communion won't be for you. Let's talk about that first. But if this is for you, remember what Christ has done for you, that you can be part of his forever kingdom. Thank you.